cheers for the Hucksters. Let's go. Hooray! 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 Hooray for the sales department. Boy, talk about bloodsuckers. Whew. I'll tell you. You know, uh, it's a funny thing. I got a note today from a promotion department. It says, Mr. Shepard, what are you going to do about National Family Barbecue Week? (laughs) Which is this coming week, you know. We're all going to celebrate National Family Barbecue Week. Well, it's, it's strange that during all this time, when everything is going on in the world, when obviously there are cross currents of all types flowing through this great body of America, we are preparing to celebrate National Family Barbecue Week. Now, what what we're dealing with? <laughs> what we're you know, we got all kinds of strange little things going here. Be the first in your neighborhood to learn how to fly kites, friends. You may have to fly, but you know, since we are involved in this strange cross-currents that are going through the world, almost everybody, no matter who he is, is feeling a peculiar kind of fear. It's not a fear of anybody. It's just a fear. Do you know that psychologists are having a lot of problems with free-form, free-floating fear? Oh, yeah, you know what free-floating fear? That's what you got, friends. (laughs) That's that little cloud of fear that just floats over, you know. little black cloud, and once in a while you can hear the bowling balls banging and a little lightning flies out, you know. And you're not exactly afraid of anything, you see. That's, that's an interesting byproduct of our strange, technological, automated, confusing world today. You know, a hundred years ago, a guy knew what he was afraid of. Let's see, there were the bears, there was his wife, there was the wrath of God, yeah, these are the things that, that you knew, you see. But now, since that fear of the wife has been transmuted into something else, that fear of God is gone. Nobody believes, you see, nothing. So that's gone, you see. We all know that we love each other, so that fear is gone, right, gang? That's gone. <laughs> that fear is gone. And yet there's this little cloud. <laughs> Above each guy, you know, little fists coming out. Once in a while, a muffled scream can be heard in the fastnesses of your soul. Well, I want to tell you a little incident. I, I really shouldn't tell this story on the air. <laughs> it's reliable to get sued to here and hell and back and gone. <laughs> but a couple of weeks ago, I got on a bus. Now, there are buses and there are buses. There's the bus, let's say, that goes to the steel mill. That's a certain kind of bus. When you get on that bus, you expect yelling and hollering. You know, guys chewing the back and hitting each other. Yeah, you do, you do. You just expect that, you know. You get on a bus that says, Joysy City! Well, all right, you're ready for it. You know, you get on it, you get on it like this. You know, you get on it, you sit down, look around. You sit there, you wait. There's that kind of bus. That's the known fear. You know, this guy hits you, you hit back. That's the end of it. That's very clean cut. Well, at 1 o'clock in the morning, I'm getting on a bus. It's about 12, actually about midnight, over here at the Port Authority. Well, now, the Port Authority, to those of you 
who don't live in New York. It's like a super, it's like some kind of a, an adjunct to the World's Fair, actually. It's very strange. But it's a, a giant building with enormous escalators going up and down, millions of buses, slots, little windows. It's a fantastic, all-inclusive bus terminal. You ever seen the crowd that hangs around in front of the Port Authority? Have any of you? Don't look at me so dumbly. I'll tell you, friends, uh, seriously, if I ever have a tourist coming into New York, I'll take him there for five minutes just to look from across the street. That crowd in front of the Port Authority, that's a cross-section of psychological ills that you couldn't conceive of. There it is. Well, you run that gauntlet, you see. You do. You run the gauntlet. Now you're in this clean, beautiful world of, of timetables, schedules, clocks. There's a pile of New York Times being sold over there. Defriended little donut shop. All these things lull you into believing that everything is as the way it should be and is the way it always has been. Except for one thing. There is a shop right there next to the big information center that sells a whole window full of switchblades. <laughs> Have you seen that window down there? Yeah, I'm not kidding, see? And so you, here's the model airplane shop, and here's the little whoopee donut shop, and all of a sudden, here's a hand axe shop. They had a nice selection of maces, you know, and that kind of... And I, I stood there and I looked and I said, gee, I wonder, I wonder who buys them here, you know? All these commuters going back to Teaneck and places like that. Well, I finally make my bus. It's about midnight, and this bus is going to one of the richest, nicest, totally controlled, beautifully, beautifully conceived communities in the East. It's a, well, actually, it's Princeton. <laughs> Princeton, the citadel of learning. Western culture. It's all there, you know. The history department is at the other end of the bus line. You know, the, the Department of Oriental Studies. You get on that bus, you go right to the Princeton Theological Institute. It's all there, you know. You're not heading for that fist-fighting world, you know. And so all of us get aboard this bus. We're sitting there. And it's beginning to fill up. It's going to leave in about five minutes. And I can see the people, you know, Princeton people, guys that are living in Bucks County, places like that. These are people coming from little things like matinees, little friendly little things, matinees, theaters, lectures, YMCA, that whole thing, you know. You see guys with a partisan review are getting, uh, you know, horn rim glasses. Everybody's extremely polite to everybody else. You, know, they, you can hear their knees creak, and they've got wash and wear suits and little ladies, and you can hear the girdles creaking, you know. It's, it's a nice bus, you know? And, and the kids that get on, you know, they've got this sort of crew cut, you know, with the chinos, and they, they come, they've just come from a hip show down in the village, and they're all there, you know? They're, yeah, they're all getting on the bus, returning to real life to them, you see, is out there. So I'm sitting a spy, you see, I'm a spy. I'm, of course, immediately with the beard, you know, they thought I was, I was some kind of an oriental scholar, you see. I had something to do possibly with one of the rarer religions of the Middle East. And so, you know, I came out. I play that. You know, it's a funny thing when you get in certain areas, a beard is a real asset. You see, so I sat there and I, I looked kind of profound. Uh, with, a, with a faint, ironical smile. Pulling on. 
You know, it's as though you have seen so much life that nothing. You know, <laughs> that you are above it, and the, and the bus is like 150 degrees, you see. Well, for a real Oriental religionist, temperature means nothing. <laughs> I even stop sweating while I'm sitting, see? Well, no, I'm sitting there. No, I'm serious. It's funny how you... I, I, let's, let's face it. All of us play these ridiculous little phony games where... Have you ever had a guy come up to you on the street corner and says, Oh, say doctor. Uh, you know, well, uh, oh, yeah, every once in a while with a beard. Yeah, with a beard. I'll be riding in a cab and a guy will say, Say, uh, I hate to be personal, but are you a doctor? <laughs> then you've got the choice. <laughs> you know? You know? <laughs> you know, so I, I'm stuck by there, and they're all getting in. We are about to leave. The bus driver is in his seat. He's gunning the motor. The door is open. We've got about a minute and a half to go. When one of the doors, you know, in those big slots, slam open, and these two people come aboard. Well, let me tell you, that bus, in that one instant, changed its entire attitude. It was as if everybody suddenly sat down, real low, and you could see these eyes going, just like that. Well, what were they? It's a very difficult thing to tell you what they were. They were two girls, two girls, about 14 years old, maybe 15. And the one girl was about six feet two. <laughs> Now, there are some girls who can wear these stretch pants. <laughs> watching that girl, you had, the, you had the strange feeling of watching a bomb about to go off. She had the stretch pants so tight, you could just see them. They were going to boom, you know, any minute. Now. You know, it's just going to go all over the bus, you know, boom. I mean, this chick, uh, it was fantastic. I never saw anything like it. She was, it was just like, it was like the inner tensions were getting ready to go. And this chick had her hair piled up on the top of her head. She was about six feet two. And she's with a little short, wide one. Who, by the way, was going to go out sideways. You know, she was like one of these, she was like one of these little floating mines. You touch her and you got your hand, just boom, you know, any minute. And they both got out, and here's what they came on, see? They swaggered on that bus. The chick ducked her head to get in. And she walks up to the guy, and here's this little man sitting there with a gray uniform, you know, and he looks up, oh. One of those nights on the bus, you know, he knew, see? And, and the chick has, she's got, a, she's got one of these $1.98 blouses, see, that has been torn open. She tears it up on the bottom and ties it in the back and tears it open the top. And let me tell you, if you ever saw a pair of bowling balls, it was like watching a couple of bowling balls being held by the thinnest thread. It was just sensational, wild. And, and she comes in like this, see, boom. And she stands there and looks over the whole crowd. And the women, you know, the little women all of a sudden look, you see, and the men all of a sudden, you could see their eyes glaze. And here was this professor of history. Suddenly, he could see fangs coming. Like that. And it was just a wild scene. You know, she comes in like this. And she looks just up and down. Just, it was like a flamethrower. 
that she had a couple of flamethrowers. She just swept the bus, you know. <laughs> and everybody shriveled, you know, up like that. Well, a chick walked, and there was not a seat in the bus at that point. So she goes back to the rear of the bus, hangs on to the thing, you know, that, that, that big stainless steel bar there. You think, you, you know, I had the feeling it was going to go clank. She goes, boing, like that. And a little slugger comes up next to her. And this chick is obviously going to guard the rear, and this one's going to take the front of the bus. They both stand like this, and the bus backs out of the slot, and it starts heading towards the Jersey Turnpike, you know. And we get about half, and everybody's watching, see, them, which, which way it's going to break, and which way it's going to go. And the, the big chick had one of these enormous bags, and these great big leather ones, you know, hang over. And about halfway through the Jersey Tunnel, you know, the big Lincoln Tunnel, we're going along there, spooky enough, see. <laughs> Suddenly she reaches down into her bag, and everybody watching. Oh, sitting there. You should see those guys sitting there trying to, trying to concentrate on their village voice, you know. They're looking like this. See? She reaches in her bag, and she pulls out a copy of the New York Enquirer. <laughs> She opens it up. Now, uh, to those of you who don't know the Inquirer, I don't have to say, you, you, you just be innocent out there, friends. I can only say the headline was, Wife chops man into 40 pieces. And the sub-headline was, Seven babies roasted in oven. And she opens this thing up. I'm telling you the truth. Opens it up and starts to laugh. Now, are you applauding laughter or what, is it, friends? Well, I'll tell you, everybody is watching this thing, see? And she has this one hand up, and it began to, it just began to soak into our consciousness. It is the first 15-year-old girl that any of us had ever seen that was tattooed. So help me, I'm telling you this, I, I know that's why I'm, I'm hesitating, because immediately her family's going to get on us, you know. But here it is, it's right down the thing, it's got a big arrow. Can you imagine a chick with a flaming arrow tattooed on her? And in the flaming arrow it simply said, Buck. Now I couldn't tell whether that was her boyfriend, or whether that was her name. You know, it's very hard, you know, at that point, and I, 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 can, I, I picture Buck, you know, arriving for a date, his leather jacket clanking, you know. And she stands there with the, with the thing, see, and she's got the Inquirer. We get on the other side. We go to the toll pike. We get up on the, uh, on the turnpike itself. And you know how you ride along the turnpike and the buses get quiet? People begin to kind of settle down. It's a good hour and a half ride. You're about... 15 minutes out of New York, and they turned the lights out, and the lights began to go out. And here are these two chicks standing back there, illuminated. You never saw, it's like the, it's like the, it's like the works of art that you see in the museums, beautifully lit. And they're standing back there, and they're, they're casing the joint. I've never felt this kind of fear. I'll tell you why. When males do this, you can hit them. No, really. When a male is, 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 is ready to put the bus on, seven men sort of get together and say, all right, should we rush him? <laughs> no, you do. You really do. There's something about that. The female has no social restrictions when she decides to become a thug. 
Because what can a man do? You know, can, they, can you get up and say, All right, baby, let's go. <laughs> well, you know that if you did, you could cause a lot of damage. But then again, you wonder. And furthermore, if you did, the audience would be on the other side. So everybody's confused. It's, it's, it really, it's, it's, like, it's like if all of a sudden your little sister suddenly throws a grenade right into the kitchen. And these chicks, oh, they're fantastic. They're standing there. And all of a sudden, this was a pure symbol, a pure symbol of defiance. There's a big sign that says, no smoking. Well, I hate to tell you what happened. The big chick reaches down into her breast pocket. Boo! You know, it's, it's, it's reaching. You know, she's reaching right on under. And, and they were stainless steel, friends. I'll tell you. And, and she reaches way down under and she pulls out a pair of cigars. You know these ads that you read? They seem so simple and nice. The girls are smoking cigars. You ought to see the girls that are smoking cigars. And she takes a cigar, slams it in her mouth, puts it back to little Chucky here, sticks it in her... They light up and look at everybody. The big smoke, and they slowly sit down in the middle of the aisle and start telling dirty stories. On the bus... Sto Speaking of dirty stories, here they come. It's the gang from the Red Ghana. All right, man, let's go. This is the crowd from the Red Garter down the street. Be prepared to wear your tin hats. All set, amen? Let's go.
Are you for a filter and rich flavor, too? The logical move. The logical move is L&M. Are you for a filter? L&M has a modern, all-white filter. Pure white, both inside and outside. And through it, you get the good taste of L&M's rich flavor leaf. The good taste of soft-natured, longer-aged tobaccos. So remember... If you're for a filter and rich flavor, too... The logical move. The logical move is L&M. The rich flavor cigarette with a modern all-white filter. The logical move. The logical move is L&M. The logical move is L&M. This is WOR Radio, your station for news. Swim in the world's largest outdoor saltwater pool at the Palisades Amusement Park. There are free circus acts, free dancing, free parking. Admission is still only 30 cents. This is WOR AM and WOR FM, your station for news. A murder is committed every hour somewhere in the United States. The FBI and your local police... Need your help. You may be a witness today. Call your local police or the FBI. Our New York number is Lehigh 57700. This is WORAM and WORFM in New York. I tell you, you give a guy with a weather report in his hand, you give him five seconds on the air and you're dead, friends. All right, let's give the weather a big hand. <laughs> Hooray for weather. And now on that note, and once again, we've returned to action. Down here, deep in the bowels of Greenwich Village. And you can take that any way you want to. <laughs> Yeah, that reminds me of a terrible parable, but uh, we'll save that till after the air show is over. But nevertheless, we're in Greenwich Village, and where are we, friends? Where? Where do they have the best hamburgers in the world? All right, what's the best joint you've ever been in in your life? Are you glad you're here? <laughs> Nothing like a free commercial. You realize you've all been patsies, don't you? <laughs> yes, we're down in the Greenwich Village sector known as Sheridan Square, just south of 14th Street, where the search for truth and beauty goes on ceaselessly, where life is lived to the fullest, where each one lives his little life like a burning flame of passion. At the sound of illy-tuned Sears Roebuck guitars, play out the obligato to the wailing cry of mankind spinning towards eternity. How'd you like that? <laughs> Pretty good, huh? Yes, it describes our life. This is the way it is. Oh, speaking of uh, the way it is, since this is uh, next week, uh, National Barbecue Week, National Togetherness Week, and... Uh, this is a program for those who think young. And for the sociables who drink the right pop. We might as well start stripping it down to its basics tonight. And I think the only way to do that is to tell a story about the Army. 
and about that strange, free-floating fear that men feel when they're confronted with what appears to be the innocent. Why do you think that everybody in us was scared out of his skull? Because we live in a society where we believe that all young girls are beautiful. We really do. This is a young girl society in America. Oh, yeah. We, 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 we lay wreaths at the feet of the young chicks in this country. And so when one comes aboard the ship who's tattooed, who carries with her a newspaper, says, Axe murderer slays nine in bathtub. Picture on page seven. And she bursts into maniacal laughter. There is a fear that just cannot be described that goes through everybody. Women and children, men, chicks, bus drivers, diesel engines, everything was scared. Because it goes against nature. Or at least what we think nature is. And I suspect this is why the armed forces, the army, the navy, have given rise to the greatest literature that man knows. What do you think the Iliad's about? Those guys were not on picnics. What do you think Electra is about? All the great classical Greek drama has to do with the fantastic clash of those open passions. Well, one time, you know, we mostly think of fear coming from the fear of another man. I say we don't fear other men as much as we fear things which are not men. We know the other man. We know the evil that's in him, you see. And we can judge it. We can play with it. Oh, yeah. For well, one afternoon, I'm about, I think I was about 18, which is a very interesting age. You are just emerging from the chrysalis, and you are about to tiptoe into full butterflyhood. You got wings, but they ain't dry. You see, you think they are. They're stretching out there, you see, but they don't really carry you as well as they should. They look big. You may be nine feet tall at, at 18 years old, but inside you're five feet two and fat and you got skin trouble oh yeah that's it's, it's definitely there you see and I'm 18 years old and I've got the I've got the uniform of the United States Army on me that gives you an illusion of having no age oh yeah you meet you meet a guy who's a who's a first sergeant he may be in the army 20 years you never get the sense that he's older than you are you're both soldiers you got this anonymous thing, especially when you've got things like web belling, webbing on you, canteens. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you get this great big gas mask hanging over here. You got a bayonet strapped onto you. You got a tin hat, and you're you're somehow able to hide that little five feet two shrimp with skin trouble. <laughs> that's way down in there that wants to drink a Ovaltine. You know, you keep saying, I want a popsicle when the whole gang is going into the idle hour beer hall, you know. They're all clomping in, you know, a bunch of 18-year-old guys. You keep saying, I want a popsicle. And the first guy in line says, bourbon, double. What do you say? You know, you don't say, I want a Coke. You know, with your, all your stuff clanking. And so you, you, you move through that world very tenuously. 
When you're down at the PX, you pretend, you know. You say, oh, boy, you should have seen me Saturday night. Oh, boy, was I bombed out of my skull. Oh. <laughs> Saturday night at the USO, you know. That's where you spend it, cadging donuts and sort of apologizing. And so you move through this life very carefully. In civilian life, you know, you can pretend the minute you get home that you're whatever you really are. How many guys, the minute they get home from the office, get out to Darien, take off their shoes, put on their sandals, become eight years old? <laughs> they sit there, flat their front, watch, they watch an old Lucy rerun, you know, drinking beer. Oh, you see those guys at the office, great big suits, and they walk around, they have gray in the hair, you know, and smoke big cigars. They call their subordinate son. Get them out on that boat. You see them with the Bermuda shorts, and they're sitting there with the tennis shoes, you know, little guys. They become eight. Well, in the Army, you can't, you see. You can't come back to the barracks from the rifle range, you know, and put on your little T-shirt that says uh, Captain Marvel. You know. You just can't do that. It's a very, it's, it's a very different scene. So, so the guys are always held in and they're suppressed, you know. And and the fears that they feel are fears which they can't really put into words. You can't. The real fears are not the obvious ones that guys make movies about, like uh, fighting the Germans. You know that all the years I'm in the army, I never hear anybody saying, "Oh boy, am I scared when we get up there?" Oh man, they don't. It's just isn't there. They don't talk because that's so abstract. Let me tell you what they are scared of. You really want to know? I'll tell you. I'm 18 years old, see, and they've shunted me from one signal corps school to the next. And each one is somehow getting a little more sinister than the last. Each one. The first time I'm working on a piece of equipment, working on the, on the circuit diagram, and they say... This diagram is for self-destructive elements. And it's got bombs in it, you know. And up to this point, you've just been taking tubes out and putting them in. You know, this thing is all wired to blow up. Then I tiptoe into the next school. And it seems such a great one. They said it was a pole line construction school. That sounds like nothing. Just labor to you, doesn't it? Pole line construction. And everyone said, you know, that sounds pretty good, you know. And, and, and they picked guys that were in good physical condition. We figured that was for carrying poles and stuff. You see. Yeah, they did. They picked guys that had a certain physical setup, good physical condition. And they gave us, they gave us physical tests. We ran around and stuff. And they said, well, we're going to send you to pole line construction school, guys. And so we arrived on a Friday night in this new school. It was dark. Have you ever gone to a summer camp? where they put you in a cabin or in a tent and you can't see the rest of it out there and you just suspect something great's out there, the lake, the mountains, you know, and you sit in there and everybody's talking. It's Friday night, Saturday morning dawns, and we look around. And over on one end of our area is a field. Now picture this in your mind. This field was absolutely denuded of every blade of grass absolutely flat, like a table. They had rolled it and rolled it and rolled it 
until it stretched maybe two miles. It's a fantastic distance. Just two miles of absolutely bare earth. Not a hill, nothing in it. But on that bare earth was a solid porcupine, a fur of telephone poles. Air telephone poles sticking up like some insane surrealistic forest that everyone has stripped the leaves from. Looked like skeletons. Just these white poles of all different heights, like a gigantic graveyard, stretching out and out and out and reaching up and up. And there were little poles and big poles. Now, you look at me and you say, well, what's scary about that? That's exactly my reaction the first morning. It looked like fun, kind of like Jim. And so Sunday passed peacefully. And now Monday morning arrived. The whistles blow. And you know that first day in school, that little tremulous feeling you have, you don't know what's going to happen. You look around, you know, you sort of stand there. You try to be on your best behavior. You don't know about this first sergeant. You don't know about this duty corporal, nothing. You know, you're going to play it real cool. You're going to watch and see what happens. That's the, that's the big thing in the Army, that you learn. Watch and see. Wait. Watch. Keep watching. Keep your eyes open. So we're all standing there, and the eyes are shifting, you know, back and forth. And this guy is walking up and down in front of us. You men are here to learn coal line construction. Any of you guys ever done any climbing? You ain't done any climbing, any of you? You know, all of us have climbed trees. You know, we've all climbed little things. And so, you know, everybody says, well, you know. No, I mean any real climbing. Nothing. We're all staying. Nobody volunteers. They just watch. You're going to be in charge of Corporal Abernathy, who's going to teach you how to climb long lines construction poles. It ain't easy. And some of you guys aren't coming back. <laughs> coming back from what? He means from that field. <laughs> he doesn't mean the Germans. <laughs> Corporal Abernathy, take over. And here comes this angry little man built like a bowling pin. And he clanks when he walks. He's got climbers on, you know. He's got these little iron things with the spikes. He's got a big wide belt around him that's got it's got pliers, hammers, it's got big wire cutters, it's got big leather gloves attached to it. And then he's got a huge belt that hangs way down, big silver clips on it. And he walks out in front of us, his tin hat, you know, the snotty little guy. He walks out and he says, All right, you guys. We're going down to the day room now. We got 150 sets of climbers, and I'm going to show you how to put them on. Follow. Let's go. Let's go. Come on, get on a ball. Let's go. And we're run like this. You know, into the day room, and they got all these things laid out, all these climbers. Now, what is a climber? This is the kind of thing that I'm referring to. There are simple little pieces of our existence that can strike terror into the hearts of men that most other people don't even know about. All of us are afraid of guns, spears, swords. How many of you know the fear that almost everybody who's ever used a pair of climbers feels when he sees them? I mean, a real sick fear. 
We didn't know it yet. You know, we're sort of saying, hey, Charlie, look, you know, wow. You know, we're putting them on. Gee, look. And, and you, you put them on it and you start walking and it's like wearing baseball spikes. You go clank, clank. And I'll tell you how it works. On the, right here is a long spike that sticks out. It's about three inches below your shoe. It comes up like this, big piece of metal. There's a big belt around here and a belt here, belt here and a belt here and this big spike. You stand there, boy, and you really got a grip. You know, you walk sort of stiff-legged like that. And he says, "All right, you guys, pick up your equipment belts now. Don't ever wear them tight. You hear that? They'll tear your gut out. <laughs> tear your gut out. You, know. you wear them loose so that if you're flying through the air, you can get rid of it. You know, on the way down, so you don't get stabbed by your own pliers. You know, and you." So he says, "Wear them loose." He says, "And I want you to practice working with that buckle." Because if you start cutting out, the first thing you do is throw your safety belt off, unclip this thing, and let go. Somebody said, Corporal, what is cutting out? You'll find out. Well, so we get all prepared. You know, there's a great feeling of, you know, all kids have a, have a, have a, have a secret little love of putting things on their body, strapping things on, you know, and little hats and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. And each one of us shares it. That's, let's face it, we all do. And so there is a kind of fun, you know, putting this thing on a big pair of wire cutters. Here's a big, a tremendous collection of pliers all going down like this. And it's yours. It's, 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 it's all new and beautiful. And so he gets us out there and he says, all right, man. You're all equipped now for pole line construction duty. Don't kid yourself because you got the equipment, you know nothing. You don't. About face. Take one step forward in the company street. Right face forward, Hodge. And we go off. And you have double time like this and clank, 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 clank. And we're getting closer. These poles are coming. And we had been seeing them, you know, from about a mile distance. Clank, 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 and they're getting bigger. Clank, clank. The closer we get, the higher they get, the skinnier they get. They're getting higher, and suddenly we're here, and there they are. And we stand. All right, now, men, I will demonstrate how you take your first hitch on a pole. It goes like this. Clank. Boom, zoom, up he goes. He's like a monkey. Gunk, 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 gunk. He goes, tick, 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 tick. We watch. Have you ever seen those guys on poles? Uh, you've all seen them. Doesn't it look like fun? Doesn't it look easy, gang? Well, I'll tell you. He says, all right, now, watch this. He's up there on the pole. We're all watching him. Keep your knees stiff. Swing out. Lean back on your belt. That belt is not a safety belt. It's a work belt. Everybody, you know, that I knew up to that time, it felt you put the belt on, it's, it keeps you up there. You know, it's a safe. That ain't no belt for safety. That's a work belt. You lean back, you work like that, see? But if you cut out, if them things go, oom, you get rid of that thing and down you go. He said, don't you hang on. He says, I'll tell you why. You'd reach the bottom of that pole looking like a porcupine. You would have eight-foot slivers that went in here and came out the top of your head. Good God. 
you know, I'm telling you, this is the truth. You know, we're, all of a sudden, it's, it's getting very menacing. You know, this little pole that we're going to climb. He says, now, all you guys in the first row there, I want you to take one step forward. All right. All right, now, each one of you address your pole. That's army talk. That means look at the damn thing. Address the pole. And upon command, I want all of you to take your right foot, raise it above the left sole, plant it in, and take a short hitch up, and then up, 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 one, two, three, and stop at the third one. So everybody's standing. Wait, guess who's fourth from the end? And there's that telephone pole. Up to this time, telephone poles have been just little things you carve stuff on, you know. Or you spit on, or you throw rocks at, you know. All of a sudden, this thing is leering at you, just leering at me. And you can smell the creosote. And you can see where millions of other guys have climbed up those holes. They've gone up, and the pole looks as rotten as cheesecake. This has been climbed on since the first German went into, the, went into, went into Poland. Ten million Signal Corps soldiers have climbed to the top of these things and have seen and looked at the bull right over his horns and have climbed down. And now here I am. I stand there. He says, right foot into the pole, hip. I'm hanging her, you know, and all of a sudden ankles, boy, I'll tell you, you, you discover you've got ankles of pure spaghetti, you know. I'm hanging like this, and I'm only three inches from the ground, you know, like this. Everyone's hanging, he says, all right, left foot up, hump, up, up. I'm hanging like this, you're hanging. He says, all right, hold it now. And everybody's teetering. And that pole is going up. And here we're three feet from the ground. And that pole goes all the way up into heaven somewhere. He says, hold on now. All right, now. The easy part is getting up. <laughs> you know, you never think of coming down. That always seems, seems so easy. He says, all right, now. Raise your foot straight up. Do not bend your ankle. With that, I go, whoa. Eight guys out of ten go down on their things, you know. And they're later. And he says, all right, man, get up, get up, you slobs, get up. <laughs> Do you realize that if you eight had done that another three feet higher, we'd have the ambulance here? Yes, 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 I know. Well, this continued for the first morning. And as it continued, the fear built in at the same time a peculiar kind of pride bills up. It must be the same thing with guys that walk tight ropes. You're scared, but you're glad you can do it. And so we began to climb higher and higher until by the end of the second day, we are climbing 30-foot poles. Now, a 30-foot pole seems, you know, 30 feet seems a little bit to you, but that's almost three stories. Now, can you imagine yourself hanging at the top of a tiny toothpick three stories up just hanging there, see, and with the, with the stories ringing in your ears of cutting out and the wind is blowing. Back and forth. Back and forth. He said, look, we are going to work on the 30-foot poles for two straight days. Then we're going to climb. Then we're going to climb. <laughs> you know, we figured, you know, let's stop here. We're pretty good now, you know. <laughs> You know, this is pretty good here. 
the fourth day, we arrive at what they call the major pole area. These poles range from 45 feet to 96 feet in height. Right? Have you ever seen a night? He knows what I'm talking about. Have you ever seen a 96-foot high pole? Oh, my God. They're made out of wood, the same kind of wood. They're not much thicker than the others. It's like climbing up a string. Almost ten stories. Well, on the fifth day, we're beginning to develop this thing inside of us. We hated to get out there. You know that terrible fear that you have of failure? Of not, you want to stay in bed? Well, by, I'd say, roughly Thursday, it was almost impossible to get us up. We all pretended we were tired. But every day, you know, we'd get these things on and start putting them on, and we'd start, because you knew, you knew it had to happen. You just knew something had to happen. We're now working on the 60-footers. 60 feet is roughly five stories or a little above. And about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I have worked my way up to the top of a 60-foot pole. And I'm looking down. You know, by the way, that was one of the great commandants. Don't look down! You nuts! You need stand on Quit looking down, gasser! Cut out! And, of course, then immediately you look up. <laughs> Have you ever looked up from 90... <laughs> Boy, those clouds are going and everything. And a, a bird goes past you and he's under you, you know. And you, ooh, you're hanging up on this thing, you see, and you just keep saying to yourself, don't look down, don't look down, don't look down. You're 60 feet up and the wind goes... You're swaying a full two feet back and forth, and you look down, and you're way out here, and you're way over here, you know, and, you're, and you can hear your climbers creak. And way down below, I hear the corporal, oh, you guys, come on down, come on down. And I start going down. I made about three steps down, and by now, you know, you figure you're pretty good. About three steps, and suddenly I hear a rip. It's a ripping sound. Just like somebody ripping a pair of Levi's. And I felt something happen, a funny feeling, just in the left foot. I just felt it. And I dug my right in, and my left foot is floating free. It has cut out. I put this thing back in like this. I start working it. I get it stuck in solid now. I'm sweating like a pig. Hanging on, and the breeze is blowing past me swaying back and forth. I start bending. And now everything goes. You know what happens when you get scared? Everything you've learned goes out of your head. Gone, gone, gone. You become a basic animal. And all it says, that basic animal is, hang on. Hang on. Don't move. <laughs> hanging on there. See? And I look out. I see the other guys are going down. I hear this guy, come on, shepherd. And I just hear, come on, shepherd. <laughs> so I start, I start working my way down. I get about halfway down when suddenly I hear floating up to me this strange, it sounded like a siren. It just went, wah. And I heard a silence. And I knew somebody had fallen. It wasn't me. <laughs> I knew somebody had gone. No, really, it was a terrible moment, you know. And I, and I, and I, I, 
I, I don't know whether I should look down or what, you know, and I, I start working down, and I hear a lot of talk down there, a lot of guys running around, and I'm working my way down. And a sergeant hollers, Shepard, stay where you are! Don't move! He could see that I was chickening. I'm hanging here. I peek down, and I see about 30 guys all around the base of a pole. And there is that little tiny figure. And I see the jeep coming over the little... And I can see that big white wagon with the big red crosses coming over the field. And I'm hanging there. Just hanging. That wind is blowing. Way off over in the distance to the Ozark Hills, you know, that you sing those folk songs about. And I'm hanging. I'm looking. They pick this guy up, and he isn't moving. I just see these just all limp. He's hanging there. Into the wagon, and off they go. And then it comes. The sergeant yells up, Shepard, do you want me to come up after you? Do you want me to come up after you? No, they, they, they really do. They get very scared when there's a casualty on the climbing field, right? They absolutely panic because everybody else then goes down. It's like one guy falls, they're like leaves. They come down. <laughs> oh, yeah, you lose your all your guts, your nerve, everything goes. Your knees get weak and down you go. And you're 40 feet up, you know, you come down like a rock. So I said, no! <laughs> you know, and I start edging down. I keep thinking to myself, keep your knees straight. Keep your knees stiff. Now, one, two, down, down, down. And I start working my way down. Down, down. And I finally touch the ground. Good God. And I stand down there, and nobody's paying any attention to me now. You know, I'm down. I walk. I clink a little bit. I am at least 90 years old. I go walking over to the rest of the guys, and they're sort of talking around. You know, well, let's go. You know, taking a 10-minute break. And they do not allow, as you know in the Army, they do not allow you to dwell on the last crash. So everybody finishes his cigarette, and he says, All right, now, address your pole. We are carrying aloft cross trees. 